Well, I am really, really grateful for uh, God's blessing to Coastal here in Gloucester in the form of our worship team. I'm really glad for these folks that work so diligently. These guys have been here since 7.30 this morning, uh, making sure, in addition to thinking about it all week, that they were well prepared to lead us in worship. I'm really, really grateful for them. And uh, so, But today, I want to actually finish without going through the end of the book. We're going to for here at Gloucester, we're going to finish our series that we've been in all summer long in 2 Corinthians called Cruciformed, Crucified to Live Transformed. We've been going all summer since I think last May, uh, working through this book piece by piece, section by section, uh, sometimes a chapter at a time, and really trying to get a sense of what Paul was accomplishing as he wrote to this church that he had formerly written to that was just, there were so many troubles at this church. And we're not going to get to the last chapter of the book. We're not going to study it together, I should say, and I'm sorry for that, uh, but there are a couple of things we're going to do in September that um, I want to, I had some other things I want to focus on, and Pastor Sean has been kind enough to uh, let me uh, stop here. Next Sunday, uh, some of you will remember Alistair, uh, the man who has for many years been Sean's, uh, Pastor Sean's uh, mentor in ministry, and uh, he has come often and spoken uh, over the years at uh, Coastal. Well, he's coming here next week to speak uh, here at Coastal in Gloucester, and I think you will find that to be a great blessing and a great encouragement and uh, you'll, you'll enjoy Alistair, and so we're glad to be able to have him come. Um, then, for those of you who uh, have enjoyed the break, <laughs> I'm preaching again for a while. So uh, I realize I've been out of the pulpit a lot, out of, away from teaching, and uh, I'm really looking forward to getting back to it. So on through just about the end of September, uh, you'll have the whatever it is for you of listening to me. Oh, great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so today I want to finish this up, and I want to finish it up. I've, I've heard over the years many times that basically a, a, a preacher, when he stands up to open the scriptures and teach the Word of God, he has two jobs. One is to comfort the disturbed. The second one is to disturb the comfortable. And uh, so today my job is part A of that, all right? I really hope to encourage your hearts today. We sang the opening song we did today, uh, your grace is enough because it is drawn from the text we're going to study today. So if you'd find your way to 2 Corinthians 12, uh, I, I want to begin there, and we're going to not go too far afield to many other places because it's really continuing the thought that Pastor Sean taught us about from chapter 11 last week. Paul has come to the point in his relationship, in his uh, interaction with the Corinthians that he just feels it's essential that he explain to them where his authority comes from as an apostle of Jesus Christ. He feels like he's been driven to it by these what have been called super apostles, these people who've come in, they're large and in charge and they're impressive and they charge a big fee to come and speak and they're all these things that there was just something about them that everybody thought, wow, these guys are really something. And, and they were putting Paul down, who had planted this church in Corinth, and who was doing his dead-level best to see this church grow and develop and become disciples of Jesus and impact the area, the region in which they lived. 
and he has felt that he really needs to just to just dive in and say, okay, listen, you want credentials? I'm going to give them to you. But I love how Paul works his way through this section and then comes to what is really important to him and what he really counts on to make him effective as an apostle. And it's the very same thing you count on to walk with Christ, to serve Christ in whatever capacity he has given you. So that's simply put, the sermon is titled, Enough. And we're talking about God's grace. Let me begin with actually uh, chapter uh, 11. I want to go back and review, and it's not on the screen here, so let me just read a little bit or you can find your way there. Paul has been talking about all this stuff that he went through, okay? And he's telling them, I don't want you to count on your credits. He has just given some of his credits. Chapter 11, whatever, uh, chapter 11, verse 20, middle of 21. Whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a fool, like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received from the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rod. He goes through all of this list. I'm in danger all the time from rivers, robbers, my own people, Gentiles in the city, in the wilderness, at sea, danger from false brothers. He's gone through this whole list, all the sleepless nights I have. And then I have all of these churches that I have planted that are constantly on my mind and heart. But that's not what I'm most concerned about. Chapter 11, verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And now he goes on taking that and he begins to develop a, almost a theology of weakness, I guess I would call it, a, an opportunity to look at weakness as a gift from God that enables us to serve him more effectively. These super apostles had impressive speech uh, that's what, so in other words, he's starting with don't count on your credits. And these super apostles had very impressive speech. They could talk. They could get in front of a crowd and really uh, make a lot of people happy. They had letters of recommendation. They had wealth. They had support. They had a positive reputation. They had never been in prison like Paul had. These guys had a super good reputation. Everybody thought positively of them. They, they had their planes to fly from one place to another and all these other things. They, these guys were something, and they depended on those credits. Paul had credits too. He, he listed some of them there in chapter 11. Let me read a few more of them for you from Philippians chapter 3. One page back. Sorry. If anyone thinks, this is verse 4, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul had the right pedigree. He knew his ancestry, which was super important to the Jewish people. He had the right religious heritage. He was a Pharisee. His 
His lineage come, had come from the Pharisees, the religious leaders and rulers of the day. He had the right education. Acts chapter 22 talked about Paul being educated at the feet of Gamaliel. He had the right zeal. He was a persecutor of the church, which the Jewish people thought to be an aberration. And he had the right behavior. He was a solid law keeper. He knew how to do the right thing. Added to that now, he begins in chapter 12 to explain to us this, this revelation that he had from God. I must go on boasting. Though there's nothing to be gained by it, I will go to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weakness." This is, of course, Paul talking about himself, but he feels so uncomfortable talking about this incredible revelation that God gave to him that he doesn't even want to say, this was me, guys, this happened to me. Paul was very hesitant to talk about the stuff that impressed other people about himself. He didn't rest his case for his apostleship on his vision. The problem was, it was not repeatable, verifiable, or even fully comprehensible. Using it to, to prove his apostleship would open the door for charlatans to claim authority to speak for God based on their own alleged mystical experiences. Don't count on your credits. Even mystical, ecstatic experiences that you feel that you've had in your life, those things are not the things that show how close we are to God. As we're reading this and studying it, we understand this is God's word. As Paul is writing this letter, he is penning scripture. He is he is listening to the inspiration, direct inspiration of the Spirit of God as he writes this letter to this church. He was a man with plenty to call to account if he wanted to brag. Verse 6, if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would speak, be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul refused to depend on his credits. Now, some people have credits. Some people have a great background. Some people have a great history. They, they, God has, has been kind in giving them opportunities that many people have not had. That's great. Others look at the their life and their history, and they think, well, I haven't had very many opportunities. What Paul is doing is saying, listen, those things don't make us important. What God has given us in terms of our credits, so to speak, in the past are not what make us important and worth listening to. What 
gives us a message that's worth listening to. Well, let me, let me do it this way. Why is that not something we should look for? Well, first of all, of course, because not everybody has all of those things. But secondly, look at verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. God will humble you. God does not use arrogant people to glorify his name. Arrogant people do not do that. The revelations were awesome. The way he describes it is this. They were super excessive. They were supremely great. They, were, they had surpassing greatness. They could have resulted in pride, but pride hinders God's work. And Paul knew that well. He had watched it. It's just simply being overly confident. Twice in one verse, he starts the verse and ends the verse with the same phrase. What is it? God did this to keep me from being conceited. To keep me from being conceited, he did these things, gave me this thorn in the flesh to keep me from being conceited. He knew that what this was was to keep him from being proud. It was to keep him from thinking that he had something to offer and that wasn't God just fortunate to have him on his side. Paul said, we cannot do that. God will humble you to make sure you don't get conceited. You don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, or that you don't think of yourself more than you ought to think. It was really bad, <laughs> this thorn in the flesh. Three different times, three different seasons in his life, Paul pleaded with the Lord about this. It was bad. It was a hard thing. It was incredibly difficult. But what he seems to focus on is that whatever this thorn was, it drove him to God. It drove him to be dependent on the Lord. There are all sorts of ideas about this thorn. Maybe it was his eyesight. Maybe it was some emotional distress. Maybe it was the persecution. Maybe it was a spiritual thing. Maybe it was something that happened to him. Maybe it was something outside him. One thing is certain. We don't know what it is. And I think that's a really valuable thing. I think it's really good that we don't know. Because Paul's point is not this particular thing. It is my weakness was given to me by God. The reason for that is this. God's power is seen best in our weakness. I hesitate to, to talk about myself unless it's negatively, but when we left our last church some, some length of years ago now, seven, I think, years ago, um, we had people around us who were doing their best to be really encouraging. And on a number of occasions, they would say to us, because we had stepped away from the church we were pastoring and didn't know where we were going. And as it turns out, it would be five years until God showed us where he was going to put us uh, here at Coastal. And 
people in all of their good intentions would come to me every once in a while and say, oh, you'll find a church in no time. You're really good. You're such a great speaker. You're whatever it is that they liked about me. Uh, and I know the list is short, but at least they were kind enough to, to talk about it. <laughs> and it was five years of not being in vocational ministry, being a carpenter, doing trim work, I wish, I've told many people, I wish I had a dollar for every time somebody said, well, you know, Jesus was a carpenter. I wish it would have been okay for me to slap him after a while, because, <laughs> but the dollar would have been more useful. <laughs> and I think probably the most important lesson I learned in those five years was that God was fine without me. God didn't need me for his kingdom to progress. It was my honor and privilege to be able to be part of what God was doing. However well I did it, it was for God's glory, and it was not something that was necessary for him. What an incredible thing. I'm telling you, those kind of lessons are hard, and some of us are hard-headed enough that it takes us five years to finally get it. God's power is best seen in our weakness. He talks about God's grace. In verse 9, he said to me, Paul had been pleading, please take this thing away. I suspect it was a physical malady, just for the way he describes it. But regardless, please take this away. But he, God said to me, Paul tells us, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is enough. It's adequate for you. You don't need anything other than my grace. You don't have to have all of the credits that these other people had. You don't need the ecstatic experiences. You don't need the, the things that go look good on a resume. What you need is my grace, and that's enough. With this statement... God affirmed the total sufficiency of his grace for every need in life. To believe the gospel, to understand and apply the word to all issues of life, to overcome sin and temptation, to endure suffering, disappointment, and pain, to obey God, to serve him effectively, and to worship him. God's grace was sufficient for the deepest pain Paul or any other believer could ever experience. Because power is made evident, God's power is made evident in weakness. The rest of verse 9. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. My power is made perfect in weakness. It begins, we begin to be able to enjoy the power of God as we serve him when we recognize our inadequacy, our limitation, our incapacity to do something. We live in a world where we look for the most qualified person. God functions best in a world when he's got the person who is incapable his power is brought to fruition, completion, when our focus and our dependence are on him. John MacArthur says this, it is when believers are out of answers, confidence, and strength with nowhere else to turn but God that they are in a position to be most effective. 
man, I love that. I love the confidence of knowing that when I recognize my weakness the most, that's precisely when I'm in the best spot to be used by God. So we're to embrace our weakness. Let me back up into verse 9 again, that second half. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. My confidence is in. I will gladly embrace these things. My confidence is in my weakness. Another little tidbit about your pastor that some of you have noticed and wondered maybe over the time you've gotten to know me. I have a bit of a malady that is called Tourette's syndrome. It can be really bad or it can be relatively minor. Thank God for me, it's relatively minor. I have an uncle that had it or had an uncle. He's passed away. My father had it. I have it. It causes all sorts of little intricate and weird things to happen that most people think you're nervous. Occasionally, people get it bad enough that they like blurt out cuss words, so I'm like super glad that never happened because <laughs> that would be incredibly inconvenient for a preacher. <laughs> But that all happened when I was in high school and college, finding out what it was and what caused those things and why did that happen and how it got so distracting sometimes and how's God going to use me when... And yet he has decided to do it anyway. My confidence is in my weakness. The purpose is so that the power of Christ may rest on me. End of verse 9. How is my, con my contentment evidenced? Verse 10. It's evidenced in my incapacity, for starters. My weakness, which is my limitations and my inabilities. My mistreatment, the, the distresses and troubles that come to me. The systematic oppression and harassment I get from other people. The restrictions that are placed on me. The, my contentment is evidenced when my incapacity is seen most. And my contentment is evidenced by my reliance on God. No one in the kingdom of God is too weak to experience God's power. But many are too confident in their own strength to experience God's power. Let me say that again. No one in the kingdom of God is too weak to experience God's power but many are too confident in their own strength. Many years ago, uh, Andrew Murray wrote these words. The Christian often tries to forget his weakness. God wants us to remember it, to feel it deeply. The Christian wants to conquer his weakness and be freed from it. God wants us to rest and even rejoice in it. The Christian mourns over his weakness. Christ teaches his servant to say, I take pleasure in infirmities. Most gladly will I glory 
in my infirmities. The Christian thinks his weaknesses are his greatest hindrance in the life and service of God. God tells us that it is the secret of strength and success. It is our weakness, heartily accepted and continually realized, that gives our claim and access to the strength of him who has said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. So my, my hope is to encourage you today. I talk to people all the time who think they don't have what it takes. I just don't have this. I can't do this. I can't sing. I can't teach. I can't do this, that, or the other thing. I don't just feel like I have anything really to offer. They are acknowledging their inability, their incapacity. Even in the things that they do, they feel like, man, they're just, I don't feel like I'm all that good at it. My power is made perfect, God said, in weakness. So when you recognize that you're weak, that you feel incapable to some degree or another, when you recognize that, man, the things that are happening around you, the difficulties that are happening from other people that are putting stress and pressure in your life, when those kind of things are happening, when you're experiencing sickness or, or struggles or trials, when those things are coming in your life and they seem to be hindering you from service to God, those are the times when Christ's power in you is most likely to be seen and experienced as you serve the Lord. Let's go through and talk about those thoughts maybe to take home. Trouble is the truest test of a person's spiritual character. I know we have all the illustrations and everything of the butterfly and the cocoon and all that stuff, and it sounds so flippant when you're the butterfly, right? <laughs> when you're the, the caterpillar. Uh, but trouble really is, I think, the truest test of our spiritual character. When we, when we face trouble and we face difficulty and we're willing to just say to God, I am completely dependent on you. I don't have what it takes to get through this setting right now and to honor you with my life. That's what God is after. Secondly, embrace your weakness and your dependence on God. God doesn't want us depending on ourselves. God wants us depending on him. Uh, none of what I've said today is putting down giftedness and skills. I mean, Paul has talked about that to this very church. Listen, God has gifted all of you in certain ways. You ought, to, you ought to play to your strengths. You ought to use your gifts to serve the Lord. All of those things are true. But don't depend on what you have. Don't depend on your credits to make you effective when you serve God. Embrace your weakness and your dependence on God. And then enjoy watching God's power at work through you. My grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect, made complete in weakness. Boy, I hope that makes you a little happier today. I hope that encourages your heart that when you feel like you just, you're struggling to get done what you need to get done, God's power, the power of Christ in you can accomplish everything God wants to do through you. He doesn't depend on your credits. You shouldn't either. 
our team is going to come back here in just a minute. We're going to have a, a word of prayer, and I just want to encourage you. Listen, if you're here today, and we've sung a lot about the resurrection of Christ and the hope we have in Christ as believers, if you're here and you've never made your relationship with God right through Jesus, please come and get me, catch Nate after the service, talk to one of us. We've got people that'll sit down with you and show you from God's word how you can know your sins are forgiven, you're on your way to heaven. Man, we would love for you to leave with that confidence. And uh, you just want somebody to pray with you and encourage your heart today. And maybe something that we've said has maybe been a blessing to you. You just want to kind of pray through it a little bit. We got people that'll do that. Come on up here. We'll send you, send you elsewhere and you can spend some time in prayer. Okay, let's pray. Father, I am so grateful today for the encouragement of the scriptures. I'm so grateful that we don't have to depend on our abilities. I'm, I'm glad that you have given us gifts. I'm glad that you have given us talents to use for your glory, and we certainly want to give our very best effort to allow those things to honor your name. But Lord, help us never to depend on the gifts that came from you in the first place. Help us to depend on you. I pray for the, the one who's here or more that are Kind of, kind of struggling this morning, kind of maybe a little discouraged that they're just feeling inadequate. Uh, Lord, uh, that's the kind of person you really specialize in using because your name is glorified so wonderfully when we get out of the way. So I pray that you would encourage our hearts today, lift us up, help us to remember your grace is enough as we go into this week. For I ask in Christ's name.